Hey church, I hope this series has been really good for you. It's been really amazing for me just studying these passages, just learning about Jesus, discovering more about my identity in Christ and who he is and who I am. And that's our hope for you in this series that once you do that, as you as you uh, just further discover your identity in Christ, that you'll experience more of the abundant life. And uh, sometimes we think Jesus is these things and we neglect these things, but he can be, he can be both sometimes. And we've talked about that in different passages throughout. And today we're talking about, uh, I am poor. And this one may seem a little, little odd at first. Uh, you'll, you'll see what I mean as we go into this passage. Uh, but, uh, Jesus saying, I am like he is the I am, right? And John, you have, these I am statements. I'm the bread of life. I am uh, the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, and and this is also just I am. And and here we're saying he's he's also. This is also something about him. Uh, he's saying I am poor. So I just want to start off with um, talking about this, and and you guys actually talking about this in your R three groups. Uh, and if you're like at, if you're with your family right now, or or with or with a group talk about it with them, but, but this is really meant to be done in community, in your church community with your R3 group. And so I just want you to answer a question. Uh, what does it mean to be poor? Just just what does it mean to be poor? That's become like a, a, a word that people shy away from saying now, from designating uh, people as or groups as or neighborhoods as. And, and, um, and so just want to talk about what this what, what this means and how you guys view it so that we're using the same definition. So I'm going to give you a minute on screen, but again, feel free to pause it and take as long as, as long as you need. There aren't too many definitions of of the word, but there are different definitions of it. So, uh, one one may be uh, like lacking in money or or possessions, right? That that is that is, uh, for example, like oh, that's a that's a poor neighborhood. It, it lacks in resources or or money or possessions. Um, poor can also be defined as substandard or or deficient. For example, you have a poor diet. Right, so um, as versus a healthy diet, your diet is is poor. It's it's lacking in nutrients and 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 vitamins. It's substandard. It's deficient. And then the other thing that that we use poor as sometimes is is um, 
someone or something deserving of pity or sympathy, right? And uh, and pity is often like a, a bad word, like don't give me your pity, but pity is actually a very compassionate term. Um, and we, it's our hubris that, that makes us not want to receive pity. Uh, but um, sympathy or pity, uh, for example, like, oh, poor Johnny hurt his knee, right? Or, oh, you know, poor baby, I'm so sorry that happened to you talking to your child. Um, so that's, that's like, oh, you're, you're giving sympathy, you're giving pity, you're showing compassion, you're, you're trying to be empathetic, empathetic there. But something else is, uh, with poor is that we should consider, maybe it came up in your discussions, is, is it a mentality or is it a comparative state? Are those even the only two things? Like, is, is poor a comparative state? Like, me compared to that person, well, I'm rich and they're poor, or vice versa. I'm poor and wow, they're, they're really wealthy. Um, or is it a mentality like, oh, well, I'm poor. Like, um, and does, do externals define the internal mentality? Like, can you have a poor mentality? Uh, or an impoverished one, right? And and so, um, and I mean, sociologists would say, well, yes, and also, well, no. Um, and and so I've there's there's people that um, grow up in poorer neighborhoods, but never think of themselves as poor, and maybe because they they in their mentality they say, well, we have everything we need. What well, what else do we need? But someone else who grew up in a poor neighborhood said, no, I should have what they have. And so they always felt poor because they compared themselves to someone else and said, I, I, I want what they have. Um, or vice versa, I'm, I'm rich because well, I have way more than those people have. So also, is poor what someone determines about you or do you have the power to declare yourself poor or, or not poor? And, and so those are, those are a bunch of like sociological, psychological, spiritual um, dynamics to, to the word poor. The Bible says, Jesus actually, in his longest recorded sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount, the first one in Matthew, after he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he says, he starts off, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Luke, he says, blessed are the poor. So he doesn't say in spirit. He says, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So you have poor in spirit, and then you have poor. So which one is Jesus talking about here? Or is he talking about both? Right? Or, or you know, is he talking about just, well, you got to be spiritually poor. Here, you've got to be, like, physically poor. Like, what, what is he talking about there? Um, so you have here Jesus at the very least, he has a concern for the poor. Yeah, it's it's um, in line. It's aligned with the entire scriptures. We uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. So when he preaches that sermon, you know he's talking about the poor. And also the poor in spirit. Because you were about to see that those who are wealthy and who are rich often aren't poor or poor in spirit. And so what does it mean to be poor as Jesus is poor? If he says, I am poor, how do we follow him in that way? How do we discover our identity in that way? How can we be that when he says, I've come to give you the abundant life? How can we also say, well, I am poor 
in the abundant life, the life of surplus, the life of overflow. How can we also say I'm poor? So let's let's check out this passage. It's it's definitely longer than the the last one I I preached, the the fig tree one. Uh, so let me just break it down into three sections here. The first section we're gonna I'm, I'm gonna read it for us as we go through. But the first section is 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 verses 17 through 22. The next section is 23 through 27, and the final section is the last four verses. So starting in verse 17, uh, Jesus is going on a journey. A man runs up to him. He kneels before him and says, good teacher, what must I do? I mean, even in that thing, what must I do? How do I earn? How do I get eternal life? And Jesus says in his brash way, why do you call me good? He didn't even answer his question. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So he's saying, hey, if you're going to call me good, you better know what you're saying. You're saying that I am from God. I am God. Because only God is good. Just want to be clear, like, as you start out this statement, be precise and careful in your language because I want you to be able to receive what I'm about to say. And if you don't, if, if you don't, if, if you actually think I'm good, then you're going to receive what I'm about to say. But if you don't, then you may not receive it. He says, you know the commandments. Verse 19, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud that's, or, or covet. Uh, honor your father and mother. And the guy says to him, teacher, notice he takes off the good. So there's an indication he's he he may not receive what Jesus is about to say. All these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him loved him. That's key. Uh, I I feel like a lot of times in this passage you could read over he loved him. So what Jesus is about to say is a statement of love, not condemnation. It's a statement of love. That doesn't mean it's not a judgment statement. But we know that Jesus is doing this in love. It's a stated motivation and intention of his heart is this, and it's going to work out that way. Jesus loved him. It's an action. He's about to love him in this way. He's not condemning him. And Jesus hopes he responds favorably. Jesus doesn't want to push him away. He wants him to respond favorably. And he says this to him. You lack one thing. And he goes straight to his heart. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. If you do that, you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me after that. Verse 22, though, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Like great meaning many, but also probably really great possessions. That word for disheartened is overcast or dark or gloomy. 
And so you get this picture of his heart that was like, Jesus, I'll do anything. Oh, but not that thing. And he backs away and his heart becomes overcast. It goes into the darkness. The light gets shadowed. Here's the thing, guys. He went straight to his heart. And so think about this for you. If this was you, and you're like, Jesus, good teacher, what, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, he says, why do you, you know, why do you come and good? No one is good except God. You know the commandments. He's like, you know what to do. Like, read the scriptures. Like, just commune with me daily. Like, uh, you know, be, be in the community of faith. Live on mission with me. Make disciples. Like, if you're doing those things, that means I'm with you. That means you've given yourself to me. If I see that fruit, that means you're doing, you're, you're, you're with me. And you're like, oh, well, I've done a lot of those things, Jesus. And he's like, well, you lack one thing. What's that one thing for you? Ask the Lord. Say, Lord God, I don't want to be like this rich young ruler. What is that one thing? Would, would you say this to me? What is in my heart that is holding me back? Would you say, oh, but there's this one thing I need you to do before you fully follow me, before you follow me and, and do anything, this one thing. And if he asked you that thing, how would you respond? Favorably? Or would you go away disheartened and sorrowful? This guy, this rich young, young ruler, which we call him that because different gospels describe him as rich, a young man and a ruler. So we just put it into one. He walks away sad, disheartened, sorrowful. And I wonder if Jesus, if Jesus had asked him, I wonder if Jesus had asked him this and he responded with eagerly, yes, I'll do that. Or at least, maybe with some hesitation, but hey, uh, I can try to do that. I'm willing to try, Jesus. I wonder if Jesus would have said, okay, you don't really have to go do that because now I know I have your heart. And so come follow me. I just wonder. Like Abraham and Isaac, right? Genesis 22, God says, I know I've given you this one son. I know I've given, this is supposed to be the vehicle of blessing to the nations, but I need you to sacrifice him. Abraham doesn't argue. He's like, yeah, okay. You gave him to me, I'll give him back to you. 
And he does it all the way to lifting the knife and God stops him and says, I have your heart. I have your heart. The righteous shall live by faith and spoken of him. And so maybe like, maybe in this instance, it's like, he goes to the point and he, he posts everything on Kijiji on Facebook Marketplace and everything to sell everything. He, give, he, he starts giving away things to, to Salvation Army Goodwill and then Jesus says, okay, I have your heart. Come on, let's go. I know you're willing to do anything because that was the one thing that was stopping you from really doing anything. And so what is that one thing for you? In the next section, Jesus looks around and he says to his, to his disciples how difficult it will be, in verse 23, for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. Are you, how amazed are you at Jesus' statement right there? That it is extremely difficult for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Is that shocking to you? I feel like, well, I do feel like we should all be amazed at that statement, all of us, because, and I feel like it's not as shocking enough to us because by far in the present day, but also in the history of the entire world, we are the wealthiest people on the face of the earth. Like by far, if you live in North America, the, the, and, and uh, the vast majority of us are in this top percentile in the world. Do you know, if you make $30,000 a year, you're in the top 9% of wealthiest people in the world. You actually make 7.1 times the global median income. Because if you make 50,000, you're in the top four. Like that increases a lot. Some of, some of you guys, you talk about the 1%, you are the 1%. That is you. And so we, you know, when we talk about this comparative state of poor versus rich, yes, we're comparing ourselves to our city that has so much wealth and so much money running through it. So we think we don't have or we think we lack. But when you truly compare yourself to the rest of the world, it's like, oh, wow, I've been given so much. I've been given so much. Jesus says here in verse 25, he says it's easier to thread a camel through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Think about how, okay, think about how difficult it is to thread a thread through the eye of a needle, okay? <laughs> like, I don't know about you guys, but I always have issues with that. Um, it's hard enough to put a thread through the eye of a needle. Jesus saying it's easier to put a full-on, bacterian, double-humped camel full of water that re retaining it through 
the eye of a little tiny needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Why is that? Picture it. Picture this. It's because a rich person has great many possessions and money to carry with them. Think about a rich person trying to go through the narrow path, the narrow gate, the eye of the needle. You know what? Picture yourself carrying everything you have. You're carrying your furniture. You're carrying your Lexus. You're carrying your house. You're carrying your gaming computer. You're carrying your fancy cookware. You're carrying your cottage. You're carrying your your books. You're carrying your kids. You're carrying your clothes. On and on and on. You're carrying all this and you're trying to go through the eye of the needle. And he's saying, oh, the more you have, the more self-sufficient you are, the harder it is to be fully poor in the kingdom of God, to be fully dependent on God. And he says, guys, I get it. The disciples get it. Verse 26, they were exceedingly astonished. You might be that right now. You may be like, what? What are you saying? What are you saying right now? Are we supposed to just like sell everything and give it to the poor? Are you saying we're supposed to be poor? Like, what are you saying to us? The disciples are saying, they're like, they're like, then who can be saved, Jesus? Who can be saved then? And Jesus says, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So how do we do that? How do we go with God here? Well, he answers that in this final section. Because we don't want to do it man's way, right? Hope we all agree on that. We want to do it God's way. So God, what do I do with my possessions then? What do I do with my wealth? How do I become poor? What, what am I supposed to do? Are you saying I shouldn't worry about my stocks and my retirement and my, uh, my bonds and my Bitcoin and my... Yeah, that's exactly what he's saying. And if that's, you don't get that from this passage, you can go to James, you can go to Matthew. You can, there's so many other places I can go, go to on that. But, but he's saying you're not supposed to worry about those things. You're not supposed to concern yourselves with those things. You're not supposed to be anxious about those things. You may not even, you might not even supposed to be doing those things. He's saying there's a better way. Don't do a man's way. It's impossible man's way. Do a God's way. So how? How do we do that? Well, Peter is like in Jesus' face. <laughs> and he says, see Jesus? We left everything and followed you. And Jesus doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't push him aside. He doesn't argue with him. He doesn't say you're wrong. He actually affirms him. He says, truly, I know. I know you did that. I know you guys left house. You left brothers. You left sisters. You left mother, father, children even. You left your lands, all for my sake and for the gospel. And anyone who's done that, they'll receive a hundredfold in this life. And you can see this type of saying, yeah, like awesome. Like you hear like, yay, like start cheering, joy. And you will receive all these things. You'll receive houses. Yes, brothers. Yes, mothers. Yes, fathers. Yes, children. Yes, lands. Yes. 
You receive a hundredfold. Yeah, Jesus. You'll also receive eternal life and the life to come. Woo! Yes! Awesome! Thank you, Jesus. And you receive persecutions. Yeah! Wait. Wait, what? Wait. <laughs> Rewind that, Jesus? I like the hundredfold part. I like the eternal life part. But did you say we'll see persecutions? Yeah, I did. Jesus says, I did say that. For many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. And then Jesus proceeds to foretell his death for the third time to them. They still don't get it. He's about to enter Jerusalem and he says, hey, I'm about to give it all away. I'm about to give everything I have, even the clothes on my back, I won't have on the cross. I'm going to give it all up for the king, for my God, for my father, for you. I'm going to give it all up. And I'm going to bear what I shouldn't bear. I'm going to bear what isn't mine. I'm going to bear your sins. I'm going to bear your transgressions. I'm going to bear the iniquity of the world on my shoulders. I'm going to carry my cross. And in order to do that, I can't carry anything else. I have to be poor. I have to be fully dependent on God. You see right before this, Jesus has a little children come to him. And he says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he calls the disciples children in verse 24 as a reminder of that. What is a child but helpless and dependent throwing themselves fully at the mercy, fully trusting their parents for health and safety and sustenance and goodness and love and direction and guidance and discipline. And he says, only that person who's like a child can enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus came into the world naked, stripped of everything, and he goes out of the world in the same fashion. And he carries his cross and the sins of the world and leaves everything else behind in order to do that for us, for you, for me. Here's a sad part of this account. Jesus said to the rich young ruler, Go, he says, 
he says, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to, I want to learn from you. And he says, go sell all you have and give it to the poor. And he couldn't do it. He said he wanted to follow Jesus. But he couldn't give Jesus all of his possessions. You see, Peter says here, we became poor for you, Jesus. We left everything. Jesus left his entire industry. He became poor twice. He stepped out of the riches of heaven, stepped out of the riches of the world and became poor, a homeless man wandering the countryside, living on mission for Jesus, relying on the generosity of others to supply his needs because he trusted in the father. And so this rich young ruler, the poor is standing there right in front of him. Jesus and his disciples are right in front of him. And Jesus is essentially saying, go sell all you have and give it to us. He could have been saying that. And the guy can't do it. And he's like, I want to follow you, Jesus, but I don't want to give you anything. You are to give me stuff. And that's so sad about this passage because he couldn't give all of himself to Jesus. And like I said last time, you're either in the kingdom or you're out. You've either fully given your life to Jesus or you haven't. And the guy walks away disheartened and sorrowful and Jesus does not chase him. He didn't say, wait, 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 we can negotiate. He didn't say, wait, 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 I know that was harsh, but um, let me talk to you some more. He shared his truth. It was rejected. And he let him make his own decision. He turns to his disciples and he uses as a teaching lesson. So what does it mean to be poor? When we say, I am poor, if we're going to discover our identity in Christ in that, what does that mean? It means two things. One, poor in spirit. That you'll give, that you're, you're willing to be, <clears throat> sorry, that you are totally dependent on God for everything, for anything. That you're not trying to be self-sufficient like a rich, wealthy person is who trusts in their, in their wealth and their riches and the things that they have, their security blankets. But poor in spirit, like all that I have is, is from you, Jesus, my gifts, my talents, my passions. You've given me everything and I want to give those back to you. And then poor in life is number two. You're willing to give up anything and everything for the sake of the kingdom. That one thing in your heart, you're saying, God, it's yours. I will go anywhere you want me to go. I will do anything you want me to do for the sake of the kingdom to live on mission for you. I'll give up my job. I'll sell this house. I will, um, uh, I will 
to give up this lifestyle. I will sell my cars. I, whatever it is. I won't have these things because they're just worldly things. Whatever it is, I'm willing to give it up for you, Jesus. Fully dependent and fully generous. That's what I am poor means. And so, are you ready for that? Are you ready to completely say to God, I will follow you. I am poor like you, Jesus. And I'm ready and willing to give it all up for the sake of your kingdom. If you are, it's then that you actually start making disciples who make disciples. If you are, you'll fully pour into your R3. You'll fully say, yeah, I'm gonna follow you, R3 leader, as you follow Jesus, so that I can make disciples who make disciples, because I'm ready and willing to give it all up for the sake of the King. As a church, we're doing that. As a church, we did that, and we will do it again. We said, we're willing to give all this up. Yes, you built it, God. And we know you're calling us in a new direction. We're willing to give it all up for your sake to see disciples made. And we get to do that together. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for modeling something so difficult and hard, but beautiful and glorious at the same time. And may we not shy away from saying, I am poor. May we not shy away from saying, I will give it all up for you, Jesus. But may we be people who's open-handed. With all that we have, because we know it's from you. Lead us and guide us, Jesus, as a church to steward well, but to be generous and to give well to. And just be a people who reflect your poorness, but also your abundance and a full reliance and dependence on you. In your name, amen.